Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. The world that God gave us is amazing. Amen? I know it's fallen, it's broken, there's sickness, there's disease, there's death, but God made for us an amazing world. He, he made us a world where there are things like taste buds. Did you ever think about that? You get to enjoy your food. You don't just eat it to have nourishment, but God made our mouths and food such that we will receive a pleasure from eating. Like today, uh, this morning, I got a chance to, to preach at uh, uh, Hurricane Creek Church of the Brethren down in Pleasant Mound. And sometimes they give me uh, vegetables and fruits and things like that that they've gotten out of their garden. And today they, they invited me to come to their house and we actually picked some nice fresh peaches off of the tree. I went home and I, I, I cut one open and I ate that and oh man, you talk about wonderful. Oh, but God has made for us a world where we have the pleasure of eating, uh, you know, and bacon. Oh, can I say more? <laughs> I mean, uh, oh man, uh, you, 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 we, we get and, and you know, the Bible talks so much about rejoicing. Uh, and, and when it talks about rejoicing, it's it's food, it's a banquet, it's it's uh, you know we, we talk about heaven one day where there'll be a marriage supper of the lamb, and, and it's a meal, right? And and one of our our ordinances that we practice is, ha, has to do with food. You know, we 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 eat the bread and we drink the cup that remind us of what Jesus did for us. All of those things. Why did God do that? Why did God make a world where we get pleasure from eating? Because He wanted us to praise Him. He designed the experience of eating and drinking so that we would give thanks to Him. We, we often, I mean most of us probably, we pray before we eat and we thank Him for providing. But sometimes that's just a, kind of a rote thing that we go through all the time. But, you know, just think about it. He, he has designed our taste buds and the food that we eat so that that ought to well up in us to just thank God. Thank you that you made this peach. <laughs> thank you that you made it taste so good. You know... So, my first point here, before we even get to the text, is God made the creation to suit our needs and to cause us to thank Him and be grateful. Amen? So, as, Tim, as Paul here is talking to Timothy, uh, he's talked about how we ought to behave in the church of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth, but he warns hear about some false teachers. I'll go ahead and read our text. He says, now, in the spirit, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've made such an amazing world. Thank you that the heavens declare the glory of God. And thank you that the joy we get from eating and drinking causes us to give you praise. Father, we thank you. And and Lord, I just pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear tonight. Give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins this section here warning us. He says, The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Okay, he's warning. There's false teachers coming. And he, and he, and he says, uh, this is what he's getting by direct revelation from the Spirit. He's an apostle, right? We don't have apostles anymore. He's getting this from direct revelation from Scripture, from from the Spirit. And the Spirit is telling him to write this down. He's saying, in the latter days, which that's not just talking about the last days of the last days, whenever Jesus is getting ready to come again. That's talking about the last days as in ever, ever since Jesus rose, ascended into heaven until He comes again. We're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since He ascended into heaven. All right, And in these latter days, some will depart from the faith. They will apostatize. They will claim to be believers. They will look like believers. And then they will leave the faith. I don't believe that a person um, who is truly saved can then lose their salvation. But there will be many who are imposters. And they may be sincere imposters. Imposters. Kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? But they may really truly believe that they're saved. And yet, they wander and wander and wander and wander until they've completely left the faith. It doesn't mean that they lost their salvation. It means they've never been saved in the first place. Now the Spirit says in in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. They'll leave behind the faith. And by the faith, he's saying the body of doctrine that Jesus handed down to the apostles, right? Orthodoxy. (laughs) He's talking about they will leave faith in Jesus. They will leave uh, the true doctrine of the Bible. They will leave these things behind, devoting themselves instead. You know, the the apostles, they devoted themselves to the apostles. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, Right? They, they, they devoted, in Acts we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And one other thing that escapes my mind right now. To fellowship. But here, these false teachers, they're departing from the faith, and instead, they devote themselves to deceitful spirits. They're deceived. They're blinded. They don't even know that these are wicked spirits that are leading them astray. They're deceived. They're blinded. They may think this looks like the real thing and they're just deceived and deceived and deceived until it's like the frog in the kettle, right? 
They devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Paul does not, uh, he, he's not uh, let, taking it easy on these, these, these uh, teachings. He's saying this is, is not just you know, a little bit off. This is satanic what these uh, false teachers are doing. They're, dis- they're devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, we're all ready for, for how, how, uh, how wicked and evil these, these false teachers are. Now, let's look at the next verse. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Here, they are morally culpable for leading others astray. The insincerity of liars. They may believe exactly what they're saying, but they're not spreading the truth. It's the insincerity of liars. And they are, multi- they are morally culpable for what they're doing. And, and it says, whose consciences are seared. We know what our conscience is. Our conscience, it's not like Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> we think about Jiminy Cricket being Pinocchio's conscience and, and telling uh, Pinocchio, well, you shouldn't be doing that, you know. Um, and we think sometimes of uh, the cartoons with the, we, you've got the angel on one side and the devil on the other side. That's, that's, that's uh, uh, not really, I think, a good picture of what our conscience is. Our conscience is more like our taste buds. And when we are faced with a moral choice, our conscience, if we, if we know something is wrong, our taste buds, uh, our, our conscience will tell us, this is not right. This is not right. What happens whenever you take a drink of coffee that's way, way, way too hot <laughs> and it scalds your tongue and you can't taste anything anymore? That's like a seared conscience. Uh, the, 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 a seared conscience, it's like having a branding iron that has come, gone right across your conscience. You don't even feel anything anymore. And, uh, and that is what, the, this, uh, the, what Paul is saying the, the, the conscience of these false teachers are like. They have, have made choice after choice after choice after choice to sin until they have, have uh, seared their consciences. Consciences. So that's a pretty, pretty wicked picture here of these false teachers. But what are these false teachers doing? You know, when I'm going to pause right here. Because a lot of times when we think about um, false teachers, we're thinking about how, how they lead people astray into sexual immorality. Or they lead people astray into any kind of wild type of living. And things like that. And there, the Bible talks about false teachers who do that. Uh, I mean, uh, the 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 uh, uh, I think it's Second Peter that talks about. Uh, well, I'll just turn there. My memory isn't perfect, but I remember where it's at. <laughs> In Second Peter chapter one. He talks about some false teachers and says, um, "...I 
Let me turn to Jude because it might have been, I might be getting those two confused. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were uh, designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. There's some false teachers that encourage loose living and, and, and uh, denying our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is writing about here is the other kind. Okay, There can be a false teacher who will encourage loose living and wildness and things like that. Here, what Paul has been talking about that is wicked, that is the insincerity of liars, that is uh, the doctrines of demons... Here's what they taught. Who forbid marriage. Who require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? We would almost expect the false teachers are going to be saying, hey, live and let live. Do ever what you want. But that's not what these false teachers are doing. There is a danger of being libertine, of being... Um, um, Anything goes. And there's another danger on the other side of being legalistic or being ascetic. That's not in line with the Gospel either. Here, um, I think probably what goes, what, what goes here is uh, that, um, in the ancient world, a lot of times there was this um, Greek philosophy that the spirit is good and the body or the flesh is evil. Okay? And so uh, these, these um, false teachers would have thought, if we want to be really pleasing to God, if we want to be really super holy people, then what we've got to do is abstain from all the things that, that uh, are fleshly. Right? So we're not going to even get married. They decided to be monks, right? They, they, and, and they required it of everybody. If you want to follow Jesus, they would say, these false teachers, then you've got to basically go out into the desert and live as a monk. Something like that. They were, they were forbidding marriage. That is not the way to have, a, uh, have any kind of religion that will grow. I mean, uh, if you're forbidding marriage, then I'm assuming you're not going to have any children who you're going to raise up as disciples if you're forbidding marriage, it's also not going to be something very attractive to get people to join either. And, and ultimately, I think the, re, the biggest thing against uh, forbidding marriage is God designed marriage. From the very creation, it was a good thing. From the very beginning, God designed Adam and Eve to uh, live together in harmony in the garden. He, he, he designed them to be man and wife. Man, one man, one woman for a lifetime. And, and what God has called good, and we think about the creation story. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Day, everything was good. What God did, did on day one, it was good. God said it was good. And God said it was good. And God said it was good. And these false teachers 
We're saying something that God had made that was good, which is marriage, is saying it's not good. That's just as wicked and demonic as saying, just be sexually immoral. Holding believers to some kind of uh, ascetic standard that is not defined in the Bible is wrong. That's legalism. And we're not going to gain any acceptance before God by doing things He didn't tell us to do. No, creation is good. God's design is good. Marriage is good. That's a good message we have for the world. Isn't it? When, when uh, you know, um, people on the outside of Christianity, they look at us and say, why are you so against sex? Right? Why are you so against sex? Well, actually, <laughs> we have a very positive view. We have a very positive view. The, the Bible is very positive about that. Have you ever read Song of Solomon? <laughs> but we recognize it's God's design, it's God's intention, and he, it is so precious and so valuable that it is to be uh, intended for the way He's designed it. And any other thing distorts God's good design. The next thing, and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they were requiring people to abstain from foods. Maybe this might have had something to do with the kosher laws. The Jews thinking these Gentiles, they're eating pork. Come on! And Paul here is telling them, no, our diet is not going to make one way or the other when it comes to our standing before God. As Paul says in Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness and holiness and peace. I may have gotten that wrong, but that's basically the point. The kingdom of God is not about food and drink. Um, instead, uh, we don't gain any acceptance before God. I mean, I'm not against fasting. If fasting is done for the purpose of, of uh, trying to draw closer to God for a period of time, but at the same time, it's not something that we ought to say, every Christian has to do this. That's legalism. Every Christian has to do this. That's, that's legalism and it goes beyond what uh, Scripture tells us to do. And, and basically, it, it's saying, uh, you know, you have to abstain from this food, this food, this food. You know. and, and, and let me mention how this may come up today. Okay, You do have groups today that say, that they're, they say they're Christian groups, but they say, well, we still have to follow the clean and unclean laws. Christians shouldn't eat pork too. There's some people out there who say that. And I think this text is something that says, no, that's, that's, that's wrong. That's demonic, according to what Paul says. To say that we still have... The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. And also, another thing I think this comes up today, there, there's, there's things I've heard on Christian radio that talk about, well, if you follow this diet that's laid out in Leviticus... That's missing the point. <laughs> it's just missing the point. 
And I don't have anything against any particular diet or anything, but to say, you know, God intends us to eat this certain way, it's missing the point of what the Bible's all about. Our spirituality is not about eating and drinking. That does not give us the license then to be gluttonous, because that's a sin too. <laughs> and, and here, Paul also says, well, listen to this. Um, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That does not mean, like on the marriage side of things, we say everything created by God is good. Does that mean, then mean that it's okay to engage in sexual immorality or adultery? No! There are still limits. Now, now let's look on the food side of things. Everything created by God is good. Does that mean I can eat these psychedelic mushrooms? <laughs> no. Does that mean that I can eat this toadstool? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's going to kill you. It's poisonous. There, are, there are, are things that have consequences for our medical case. And also, uh, what a, you know, someone might bring this passage up and say, well, everything created by God is good. God made grass, right? So it's okay. Right? <laughs> God made marijuana. You know, he also said, don't be drunk with wine. He, he, he told us um, not to, um, to be sober-minded, right? Um, wine is one of those things, you know, this text is one of the reasons why I think it is wrong to try to say all Christians have to be teetotalers. I think that's wrong. That is not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that we, we are not to be drunk. It teaches that we are to, to be sober-minded, to, to have a clear mind. But look at how many times in the Old Testament that wine is lifted up as something that's celebratory. You know, yeah, the passage you just read. It's celebration. Now, personally, I'm a teetotaler. I've never had a drink of alcohol in my life. Except maybe in cough syrup. <laughs> but... I can't say that's something that everybody else has to do. And I don't think that it gains me one lick of righteousness before God. I've done a lot worse than drink a little bit of alcohol. I learned that from Edmund Hill. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. He, he got up and, uh, at an associational uh, meeting a couple of years ago that I was at. And he, said, uh, he, he was talking about being a Southern Baptist and growing up in a Southern Baptist church. He'd never had a taste of alcohol. Everybody was like, amen. And he said, what do you all say amen for? I might have done a lot worse. It's true. I think, again, that kind of goes back to the conscience. We're not to require other Christians to hold to things that the Bible doesn't require. It's legalism. It divides us. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the church covenant that we hang on the wall and that we read together when we had communion the last time, we had a line changed in that. You know, the older copies, they'll say, we'll abstain from the use or sale of alcohol. The Bible doesn't command that. It makes a good choice for me. I don't think the Bible commands that. I don't think we should... Um, Require everybody because I think we just might be guilty of what this text is teaching against. So, 
the point that I'm getting at, these false teachers are coming. And they're here. And they will tell you, if you really want to be holy, then you've got to live the ascetic life. You've got to abstain from marriage. You've got to go off and be a monk somewhere in the desert. That's not what the Bible teaches. You've got to abstain from certain foods. And all those things that we eat, nice, juicy, peach. I always come back to that one. That's my favorite one. Bacon. That's my second favorite. All of these things, um, they were created by God to cause us to praise Him. Amen? They were created by God to cause us to praise Him. So when you get up for breakfast tomorrow and you have a bite of sausage and, and some scrambled eggs or whatever you have for breakfast, thank God! Don't just go through a rote prayer and say, you know, God is good, God is great, let us thank Him for our food, amen. No, don't do that. When you buy into that, let praise come forth from your mouth and thank Him. That's why God designed those things so that we could have pleasure from eating them. There to be nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. How's it made holy by the word of God? You know, in the Old Testament, there were clean and unclean foods. We're getting back to this Jew Gentile thing. There were clean and unclean foods, but in the New Testament, we have the word of God. The Bible tells us that God, that Jesus cleansed all foods. That's one of the things we see in the early church. Peter, he's up on the roof, and he sees this vision of animals coming down with pigs and crit- all kinds of critters <laughs> coming down on a sheep. God tells him, arise, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I've never touched anything unclean. And God tells him, what I've called clean... You shall not call unclean. We can thank God. Thank God that He has made these things that we can enjoy them. And prayer. Prayer. Of course, when we praise Him, when we thank Him, how do we do so? We we reach out to Him in prayer. We talk to Him. We thank Him for the goodness that He's given us. All that. Now I'm going to connect this to the Gospel. (laughs) Okay? Jesus came for us. to die for our sins. That's how we're made right with God. We are made right with God by the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross. We are made right with God because He died in our place. We are not made right with God by, because we don't drink beer. <laughs> we are not made right with God by going off into the desert and living as a monk or a hermit. We are made right with God by trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And He has given us all these blessings. He has purchased them for us. And one day, we will eat around the table in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? When He returns again, we will rejoice with Him with for a never-ending 
banqueting table where we'll all constantly, forever have fellowship with Him. When we go to heaven one day, it's not just going to be sitting around on a cloud and a harp. It's going to be having a big bash, a big party where we can all sit around the table and enjoy a banquet. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.